Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Scribes Journey. I am Travis Croken, the Calm Scribe. And I'm LJ Stanton, the Pedantic Scribe. And I am TRLB, the Oddball Scribe. The last book of the month that we had was not really a book of the month. It was Read Anything, Take In Anything from the Works of Neil Gaiman. How did you all do on the assignment? I listened to some of the Anansi Boys and I finished The Sandman Part 2 on Audible, nice. which are excellent. <laughs> well, let's listen to some Caroline. Oh, was... Coraline is Coraline. wonderful. Yeah. yeah. So it was pretty good. I don't I don't know if it's old enough for Owen yet, but he's listening to some older stuff. But generally, I preview the stuff as well. But I know that he had written so. Yeah. Sandman does sound good, though. I have not listened to that yet. Yeah, I need to dive back into Sandman. I just went through one of my favorites, I have to admit, is Good Omens. It's hilarious. It's a, literally a laugh out loud book. I first read that book in high school and when we had silent reading in English and I got kicked out of class twice because I was of silent reading and I was laughing so hard. So I absolutely <laughs> love Good Omens. It's my style of humor. It's very satirical, very absurdist humor. And there's so many things that I've just carried through my life from Good Omens. That was uh, also really good. Like I never read the book, but I did see it on, I think it was on Prime. Amazon yep, Prime, yep. but it, that was a great series, and the actors. It was David Tennant they and were, Michael. Michael Sheen. Sheen. Yeah, they were spot on. It was one of those things I never didn't know what to expect, and I was like, "This is new stuff." I I really like this. And now they are doing a season two. I'm very excited for that one, yeah. especially Wait. given that Neil Gaiman has the notes that Terry Pratchett and he worked on after yeah. writing the first Good Omens that they had always kind of hoped to have something extra. So it's really exciting to see that come through. I didn't know that it was supposed to be a season two. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, there wasn't. There was never actually even supposed to be a season one. Terry Pratchett didn't really want it to be made, and then but they came to terms with it. And they wrote the notes and came up with an idea for a book two, and it never came to fruition. And now Gaiman is using this as an opportunity to just turn book two directly into the TV series. No one, no one knows what to expect. I think it's like Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman were the only two that really know what to expect from book two. It will be wild. <laughs> well, even the kids were great in that. So all that to say is that we all took in some Neil Gaiman stuff. I hope that all of you took an opportunity to take in something as well. He's such a prolific author and he does so many different amazing works that it's really, really worthwhile. But Definitely. there was a reason why we chose Neil Gaiman. Do you want to discuss that, LJ? Yes, because I, if I recall correctly, it was me who told everyone this is what we should do. Neil Gaiman has been very vocal and very open about imposter syndrome. And I don't know of any other author who has been quite so open about it. And he has a story that you can find. It's from Tumblr, but it's on his website where he discusses the fact that he still suffers from imposter syndrome and that he was in a room with Neil Armstrong and he did the, I'm a nobody. This dude walked on the moon and Neil Armstrong did the, all I did was walk on the moon. You write stories. This is amazing. It's just an excellent showcase of the fact that no matter who you are, in whatever field you're in, it's very natural to feel this imposter syndrome. Now, this is a little bit different for me because obviously I've never felt imposter syndrome. Uh, no, of course not. <laughs> 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 yeah, you on two truths and a lie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, it, is a, uh, it is a very real thing. What about you, Ted? Do you feel... Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, even when you guys were talking about starting this podcast, I knew the work you both have done, you know, and I'm still working on my own thing. At first, you know, I realized thinking to myself, it's like, well, I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to offer this, 
that itself, I was, I mean, I've talked about it multiple times, you know, how I kind of feel out of place sometimes because, you know, I'm not, I, I don't know what I'm doing with this stuff. I'm just learning. But that's why we have this writer's journey, right? This guy's journey, it's, we're going on it and I'm learning as I go. So everybody has, has those feelings, you know, am I good enough? It's not just within writing, but I think writers can kind of relate to it. When you come up against, you know, people who are um, well-established, you think, well, well, my stuff can't measure up to what they're doing. It's something you have to end up working through eventually. That's the the self-sabotage that comes in some ways, even on an unconscious level, comparing your work to the other people in your genre. Because if you didn't know any better, you wouldn't necessarily think that, oh, well, this is crap. Oh, this is going to fall flat. Any of those things. You might still be kind of self-aware enough or know your story well enough to want to go back and fix those things. But often a lot of those doubts start coming from when you start comparing your worst edition to other people's best editions. And you can't do that. It'd be brilliant if all of us writers could look at, you know, the roughest copy of our favorite books to get that little ego boost of the like, oh, wow, Neil Gaiman's work really sucks the first time through. (laughs) But we can't. Though I imagine, honestly, he seems like a cool enough person that if you emailed him, you probably could get that somehow. But it is a case of remembering to be kind to yourself and cut yourself some slack when you start feeling those feelings of imposter syndrome so that you do have a positive enough outlook to be able to continue moving forward through that block. Because if you start going down into that negative feeling of the self-doubt and comparing to other people, people and all of that before you've even finished your book, your manuscript, whatever, that you aren't ever going to get to that end. If you're writing, you are not an imposter. That's basically all you need to be doing to be a writer is write. So go do it. (laughs) I think Neil Neil Gaiman's quote, I may have said this once before, but one of my favorite quotes about the writing process was the process of writing a second draft is the process of making it look like we knew what we were doing all along. And that makes sense. Like, so I knew what I was writing was going to be not the best edition. You know, the other day I was, I was thinking about if I'm going to send this out to influencers, you know, that are maybe dads with kids or book reviewers that are parents and review these mid-grade novels. And I started thinking to myself, like, what if they come back and say that it's not good? You know, and I was like, ah, because you put your heart into writing these manuscripts, these novels, these novellas, whatever. And to have someone like that come back and say, well, it's trash. It's a huge blow to your self-confidence. And then you start thinking, hey. But anyway, self-doubt, I started thinking like, why should I even do that? But I realized I I know I just need to kind of move past that and improve. I think part of that is in some ways that fear of being called out as an imposter of the, oh, I'm going to get the bad reviews because someone's going to look at this and do the, you're not that good. You're how dare you even consider yourself to be good enough to have sent this to me or to have published it or any of these things. And that fear often can be strangling for so many authors or so many writers that they don't even end up becoming authors out of that fear. And that's genuinely sad when we get to that point of letting those doubts and letting the imposter syndrome get to us badly enough that it prevents us from being creative. Yeah, and it definitely can. And that's actually brings to mind something that I saw today. 
I haven't fully wrapped my head around it to say how much I agree with it, but so far I'm like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. You just kind of hit upon it, LJ, where you're talking about the concept of being called out as an imposter. And is that if someone say, is critical of you or they say something critical of you and it bothers you, it can only bother you if you secretly harbor those feelings yourself. So if you know that you're a good writer and you don't have imposter syndrome and someone says you're not a good writer, you're going to brush it off and you're going to walk away from it. If you're harboring the secretly, maybe I'm not, maybe, and you're dealing with imposter syndrome and someone says you're a bad writer, it's going to sting. How well that factors into everything in life, I can't say. But it kind of struck me with when I read that at this point. But I do want to get into talking about negative feedback and bad reviews and stuff like that because it is an important part of dealing with imposter syndrome and talking about imposter syndrome a bit more as well. But I wanted to take just a quick pause just to let people know what, what we're doing for our next podcast is going to be the rule of three. So the rule of three comes up in a lot of different places, but mainly in writing children's books. And the rule of three is that when you're writing a book with children, the children are presented with a problem, they have to fail at solving it three times, and then they move into the resolution of the story moving forward. The other key point of that is it has to be a child-led solution. It can't be the adults swooping in and saving the day for the kids. The children have to save the day. So the book of the month for next month is pick up a couple of kids' books and try to find a book that has the rule of three. And think about in your writing or the books you've read, if you've seen the rule of three, you may see it come up in sitcoms. You may see it come up in movies and television shows and stuff as well. So over the next month, keep an eye out for the rule of three. I know nothing about writing kids books and you both do. So it's going to be a very educational podcast next month for me. I got, I got to say that I've bought so many kids books because, you know, I'm reading it to my son. It's going to be very easy to, to pick one. I haven't really analyzed it. So now I'm going to have to go back and, like you said, look for that rule of three. Yeah. But getting back to the idea of worrying about negative feedback, that is a big thing because you are not going to avoid negative feedback. And that's another thing is imposter syndrome isn't something that sits on your shoulders like a cloak and you wear around all the time. It comes and goes. There's days that, you're really, that I know for myself that I'm really confident and I can think I can take words and just crack them out of the park. Anytime I look at a word, I can make it dance and do magic. And then there's other days that I sit down to write and I don't even know how to hold a pen. So how do you deal with negative feedback and bad reviews generally, and especially if you're in a bad headspace? I love getting to talk about this because I... I had several excellent reviews to start out with when my first book, The Dying Sun, came out. And it was really, it was nice because I know the general advice is to not read your reviews because they aren't necessarily for you, they're for other readers. But it was still something is the, I want to know what people are or aren't enjoying about this book because I am working on the second one. And, and one of the people that I had sent it to for an honest review gave an incredibly honest review. And it was my first one star review. And she put in a great deal of effort, despite having not actually been able to even finish my book into a very long essay of all of the things she passionately hated about my book, the agenda she felt I was pushing in the book, all of these things. Just taking that time to finish the damn thing, you know, I mean, I, I mean, that conveniently, <laughs> the other thing that a uh, slightly tangent from this is never respond to reviews. Don't respond to reviews. Oh, yeah. No. And that's... if it's a bad review, the nicest thing you can do is sit there and watch your other fans defend you on that review because then you do get some warm fuzzies off of that review. But reading that was definitely a 
I got that initial punch to the gut of the, wow, maybe this isn't anywhere near as good as what I thought it was. Maybe this is totally trash and I shouldn't have done it this way. And all of those feelings start to feed in. And then it's the, you have to separate the art from you so that you can do the, okay, she didn't like the book. The book isn't me. That doesn't matter. She's allowed not to like that. She's allowed not to like me, honestly. But that negative review listed out many things about the book that other people absolutely love. Yeah, I haven't gone through that because I have nothing out there to get the reviews yet. But you got to take it with, like you said, with a grain of salt. Just because one person doesn't like it doesn't mean that it's not worth the time of other people. Negative reviews are always hard for people to take. And that's the thing is that we shouldn't ever be so inoculated against bad reviews to not be able to take some of the appropriate critique or criticism from it. But you do need to be at least a little bit of a thick skin when it comes to looking at any of those because oh, you're oh going to yeah. get them. And I fully expect bad reviews. I fully expect even when I drop this book into the laps of beta readers that they're going to come back and say, yeah, I didn't like this. You know, but the one thing I've always learned, and I think I kind of apply this to, to pretty much anything, and I plan on applying it to any reviews, is that they're just something to learn from. I always think that the only way you can ever learn anything is by failing. If you don't yes. fail, you never will learn. Everybody's going to have failures. Everybody's going to have bad reviews. You just have to make sure that you look at it from a different point of view and say, this is positive because now I know this is something I might need to fix or improve. Well, that's what I try to do is I, a couple of things I looked at is I agree is don't feed the trolls. If you've got bad reviews, don't, I even like with, I agree. It's a don't respond to reviews. But the other thing too, is I try to remember that everyone's got different tastes and everyone's got different belief systems. So not everyone is going to like what you have to say or how you present something. And that's fine. Everyone's allowed to have their own choice. It, it still hurts. It still bothers some. You still have to try to figure a way around it and then build that thick skin, but understanding that not everyone is going to like it and that's fine. And I don't even look at the positive versus negative reviews. The numbers like, are there more positive or are there more negative? I just, I ignore all of that because it's, it's going to be what it is. But the other thing that I try to do with it as well is understand that you are going to do things occasionally that are going to piss people off. And you need to be aware of that. The science fiction novel that I'm working on right now, I'm working on chapter five and I've got this big scene. I'm actively talking about how in the year 3136, science has disproven a religion. They no longer need to use religion as a crutch to explain things, the mysteries of the unknown of the universe. And when they did that, they realized that faith and religion was still needed in a certain section of society for a variety of different reasons. So they kind of got all the religions together and created a new religion and offered faith back to the faithful that didn't want to know about science, didn't care about science, couldn't understand it, just wanted someone to, to know that they were being watched over and protected and someone was giving them guidance on how to go through life. I am going to take a lot of heat when this book oh, comes God, out. Yeah. I am going to take a <laughs> lot of heat on this book. But I've already got a bag of marshmallows for the book burning. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, if I mean, it's digital, that's going to be a little difficult for them to do that. You know, and expensive because that's one of those machines in fire. But. <laughs> but the thing is, is that that raises, again, like a really excellent point. When you are tackling these big issues, it can be really easy to fall into that loop of the I'm not a good enough writer to handle this in a sensitive fashion. I'm not good enough to do these things. And if you find yourself hitting that point, because I know I did when I was working with, you know, re religions that are based in religions that I don't participate in, it was very much the, am I really good enough to tackle this? Or am I really good enough to tackle having such a massive political intrigue? Am I good enough to do all of these things? 
You have to answer yes to those questions, regardless of whether you believe it. And then you have to make yourself good enough to be able to write that story. And that might be reaching out to different communities to say, hey, I want to write this book. I have a question. Can I get feedback on this? You know, I did that just the other day. I had a question from a gentleman, one of my sensitivity readers, and I said, hey, tell me more about the word jihad because I think I want to use this, but I know how much of a da- you know, difficult word this is for Western audiences. And I know how important it is to Muslim audiences. And I want to use it right. One, I got to get rid of any imposter syndrome feelings that I might be having about writing about something like this. And two, I got to make somebody else feel so excited about his own knowledge, being able to share. And then the fact that it was going to be used correctly in a book. So when you're having those feelings of being an imposter, if you go and you ask for help, you're going to both make yourself more educated, feel better and be less of an imposter. And you're going to get other people more motivated and interested in your book, which really helps down the line. And it also helps defend yourself. Someone comes back and says, you did this wrong. You can say, actually, no, I did do my research. But that's not all this to say, though, is that negative reviews can be a good thing. We're all growing. We're always growing. So if it is a logical bit of criticism and not just hate, then take a look at it. See if you can take it in, see if you can grow, see if you can change from it. Just don't let it shatter your world. So I guess this kind of leads into what is the way you guys manage this feeling of imposter syndrome? Is there something specific that you both do to get yourself out of that mindset to continue moving on? Yeah, I find I use mindfulness and meditation or reflection. I've got a very heavy mindfulness meditation practice. I use that for self-reflection. And I find talking to people helps, especially if you've got a support network or support group that already know your writing style, know who you are, and already kind of fans of what you do. And they can push back on it a little bit for you. You're looking for the people that out of all the people in the world, some are going to love your work. Some are going to be okay with it. Some are going to hate it. And you're looking for the ones that are going to love it and that are going to be okay with it. So that's kind of how I try to go about it. But it's difficult. It is challenging. Absolutely. I always make sure to be in a good headspace before looking at any of that. And as far as dealing with kind of the more day-to-day imposter syndrome, it is very much looking back and remembering things that I've accomplished, regardless of whether or not it's things within even my writing career, just things that I can look back on and say, no, I put my mind to this and I did it and I did well. Everybody has something like that that they can look back on and say, no, I did this well. And if you can't think of something, then it's the look forward and do the, I am so excited for this thing that nobody is going to be able to get me down. And just hold on to those feelings because that's important for that self-love. And as Travis said, have a group of people that you can also talk to. I'm really lucky that I have a decent fan base and I have some good friends that are always very willing to tell me both when I'm being egomaniacal and when I am down and actually do need the, no, actually you are good at this. Just don't let it inflate your ego too much. See, I'm fully expecting, because uh, again, not having anything published, I've been trying to prepare myself for this. I think what I'll probably end up doing once I release this is probably getting a big giant bucket of fried chicken yep. and just like munching on No, I'm kidding. I don't, I don't even need fried chicken. Uh, but no, Comfort I mean- Comfort like, food is okay. Yeah, yeah. Like that's not, a, that's not a terrible thing to do. Well, if I was going to say like a bucket like, of ice in cream. Moderation, but, yeah. In moderation. In yeah. moderation. It was, it was a joke. Have the chocolate bar while you look at reviews. You want- 
healthy coping mechanisms not a giant bucket of fried chicken right once in a while though well i don't know that's a lot of grease you know but i (laughs) I got yeah well i yeah yeah. something anyway but no like i i gotta tell you like the only thing i ever fall back on whenever i have any of this self-doubt or feeling imposter syndrome is that i'm doing this for myself it is something that i've never done before i've never published anything before i've never put this much effort into producing and again i'm going to do the best quality piece of work that i can before i release it and not everybody's going to like it it's never going to be perfect but i'm going to be proud of myself for getting it out there and i think that's the one thing that keeps me kind of you know sane and kind of keeping that doubt away because again, it's a goal. It's something that I've always wanted to do. I think this, the idea is pretty solid, even though it came from a, a random bedtime story. They all uh, come yeah. from that little kernel though. Yeah. But I put this out. I did this. I'm proud of it. Again, I will learn from some of the critiques and uh, I'll always have that fried chicken bucket right next to me just in case. So I always make sure when we get working on stuff like NaNoWriMo or competitions, Anything that starts pushing us to do a, you're not a writer unless you can do X daily. And usually that's a hit a word count. And I used to ascribe to that completely. It was very much the, I have to get 1500 words written every single day. Otherwise I'm not a writer. I'm never going to get a book out. I'm just failing in an imposter. And I now want to just like take that concept and smash it with a hammer because It is a matter of you need to work on your skills as a writer every day. Now, that skill set, though, is a huge toolbox. So that might be writing, and you should try to write every day, but it might be editing because you might not be working on anything where you need to be doing 1,500 words in a day. It could be breaking down story content. So rereading your own stories, reading other people's stories, learning from those mistakes, or taking a mental health break so that that main big tool that's just between your ears that you kind of absolutely need to be working at least at 50% to be able to write, get that recharged. So you have to work on all of those things. And if you cannot do 1,500 2000 or 200 words a day, it's okay. And you are still a writer and you are still valid. And in some ways, even more so, because that allows, shows that you've got the ability to understand that, you know, like today I wrote maybe 500 words. Yesterday I wrote almost 3000 words. And it's because yesterday the scene I was writing was there. It was present in my head. I was sitting in the room with the people in the chambers and I was writing the scene and it flew from my fingertips and I was happy. It was great. But there's other days or other scenes where you have to work for it. You have to figure out the positioning, the pacing, how are things like for me to get to that scene that flew from my fingertips yesterday, I spent two days planning it in my head. So I was trying to figure out like, where does this happen after this other incident happened and how much time has passed and who knows what. And I had to work out the details for it first. So just because I didn't necessarily put words on the paper doesn't mean I wasn't writing. I was planning, I was thinking, and I was giving myself the time to put something down that wasn't going to be a massive headache when I was editing down the road. So understanding that there are days that you're not going to get a lot of words down and that's because you're a writer. Yeah. I mean, I'm a slow writer. I'm happy when I have two hours to do it. And if I get 700 words on the page just that day, I'm pretty excited about it. A lot of times it's between 500 and 700, but I don't have enough time at this point in my life to even focus to get 1500 down. 
you know, I know other writers in the Writers Cafe that I work with who uh, a lot of them are screenplay writers, some of them are novelists, but they're like, oh, yeah, I got 3,000 words on the page in two hours. So it's like, that's great. I am not that way. I, I know that's not me. And, you know, I fully accept that it probably never will be unless I can quit my job and focus on writing full time. And even then, who knows? It just may not happen. If you're writing and getting words on the page, and even if you take days where you don't get anything on the page at all, you're still a writer. I know a lot of people have a lot of self-doubt about that because they feel they should live up to the goal of whatever Rymo kind of imposes or to other people. But everybody's different. Everybody's got their own pace. It's like reading. I cannot read as fast as either of you. So I know (laughs) that audiobooks are my friend uh, which is the only way I was able to finish the I Am Legend in time. But uh, I know myself. It's all about self-acceptance and knowing where you are, what you're capable of. And it doesn't make you any less of a writer. That's just you. So, LJ, would you like to cover our homework for the I podcast? I would love to. So now that we have talked a lot about imposter syndrome, the homework for everyone is something that I feel like you should be doing far longer than just for the next month, but you need to take some time for some self-love and reflection, push back on your imposter syndrome with that. And if you're a writer, go to that scene that you don't think you're qualified to write and try it. Give yourself the freedom to make mistakes. And that works for those of you who are listening that are just readers Go and do something that you don't think you can do well. Bake pie if you're not a baker. I suck at baking. I could probably go do that. Do something that is perhaps slightly out of your usual wheelhouse to help boost your confidence that little bit so that you can fight back on imposter syndrome better wherever you find it in your life. If you're baking a pie, I want a piece. <laughs> There's no guarantees on that. No, just the shipping might cost a lot, and there might be a lot of pie coming to my house. My wife might be questioning the, the fact yeah. that there's a lot of pie. I, I mean, the pie is being shipped. I'm, I'm down for that as well. And remember, everybody, <laughs> if you do have the imposter syndrome, and when you're writing and you're doing this stuff, there's fabulous inventions that have come along that can help us along the way. There is the delete key on a keyboard. There is the eraser on the end of a pencil that'll erase the words for you that you don't like and you can go back and change. And there is also pen erasers that will just tear holes through your paper so you can just forget that you've ever written those words to begin with. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So with that- Or white out. Do they even make white out anymore? Yeah, but it I comes in fancy little ribbons now. Oh, interesting. Which is a lot more convenient. You don't have to wait for it to dry. Remember those times of going like this? Waiting oh, yeah. for the swing in the paper. Oh. Like the white I'm younger gets than everywhere. you guys because it's always been in ribbon format for me. Yeah. It's I'm much just going to remain silent right now. I'm I'm gonna say I don't that, even know how to feel. I, I'm going to say that it was in ribbon. Imposters. No. <laughs> it was in ribbon format for me in the beginning as well because it came in these little sheets that when you're using a typewriter, you'd have to slide in behind the key. Do you remember those, Ted? You put those little no, you, it must have been a Canadian thing because I always had the bottle of goo that just got everywhere and like i don't know like no, maybe it's just me no for typewriters <laughs> there are these little sheets that you could slide in and hit it with a key and so you'd have to go back over and hit the word and type over and it would just white out the so wow. but anyways that is amazing it was pretty awesome i've never seen that i feel so old right now it's great <laughs> um you're welcome so with that everyone thank you all very much for coming and joining us for the scribes journey and thank you to my fellow scribes for being here to join me 
We'll see you next month where we will be discussing the rule of three and children's books. And for now, go sharpen your quill and get back to writing.